This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Lola Benalon, Assistant Professor of Architecture Technology at GSAP. I'm a structural engineer, curator, teacher, and architecture researcher, and my research focus, broadly speaking, is on low-carbon and low-extractive building materials and practices. This fall, we created a mini-series on natural and living building materials. The Natural Materials GSAB podcast series consists of interviews of designers, builders, and product developers of clay, bamboo, fibers, and bacterial concrete. Natural materials are defined as minimally processed, readily available, non-toxic, healthy and engaging materials. These materials are critically needed to reduce carbon emissions and extractive harmful impacts associated with conventional building materials. Today we'll host Sigi Koko, who design energy-efficient buildings made from local natural materials. And she teaches people how to build with them appropriately for their climate. Siggy started her practice in the late 90s and since then designed dozens of code-compliant, passive buildings made of natural materials, taking part of the building process in most of her projects and teaching hands-on building with clay to hundreds of students. Siggy, we uh, met about four years ago in my first COB workshop with you. Since then, I took numerous building workshops with you, learned from you to build earthen floors, clay floors, clay-based plasters, and how to build walls from rammed earth to light straw clay to cob. We taught together a year ago at Carnegie Mellon University, where we built an earthen sitting area in the local urban farm together with 40 students. I feel absolutely privileged to have you here today to learn from your vast knowledge on passive design natural materials, and most of all, the art of building with clay. Hello, Sigi. Hi, Lola, and it's absolutely my honor. It's lovely to be with you always. So, um, as I'm sure our listeners are curious by now to know, why won't we uh, start with your story, your journey? Uh, You did your master's in architecture at the University of Texas in Austin, When did your passion to natural materials and clay um, started and how did you learn everything you know about clay? Obviously not from school, right? Well, I did start learning it in school, but not from my coursework. So uh, when I was at the University of Austin, I had a professor who taught uh, a history of architecture course. And in that course, she covered indigenous buildings around the world that, and then explained why they were built the way they were. So what were the design criteria they were trying to solve? What was the climate that it was in? And what were the materials that they had locally available in abundance, which then explained why they were building with those materials in that manner? And that was the first time that architecture wasn't just like an ego trip for me. That was the first time that architecture had functional meaning. Um, and I, my background is that I'm German and we're very functional people. Uh, and so to me, to have 
the materials gel in the way, in that way of being local, in abundance, natural, from the environment, harvested often without harm, although there's exceptions to that. Um, and then used in a way that makes sense for what you're building and where you're building it. Um, and so that's where the passion began. And then I, I sort of brought that into all of my projects at UT. And then it has stayed with me ever since. So what was your first project built with clay? So the first project was a, an addition to a house um, in the D.C. metro area, not in D.C. proper, but in Maryland, but um, on the D.C. metro line. And it was an addition to an existing house. And we used straw bales for super insulation on the addition. We built a masonry heater that was encased in cob for the thermal mass properties. And then encased the whole flue in a bench with a cob wall. And that whole wall warms up every time the heater is fired. And so they need no other heat source in the whole house, which is kind of astounding. And then clay plasters on the inside, always, always. So talking about clay, you mentioned clay plaster and mass heater, um, clay plaster on top of the straw bale walls. What other techniques you incorporate with clay and why you think clay is important? What is so unique about clay, about its mechanical properties? So clay, um, clay is a little, it's like a, it's like a platelet that acts as a suction cup when it's wet. So when it's wet, it swells up and as it swells up and then it has a neighboring particle that is also swollen and then the two can slide against each other. But when you push against them, they stick like little suction cups. Um, and so what that means is clay is a fabulous glue, right? It's a great binder. That means it can hold itself together. It can hold onto a wall, right? It can glue itself onto a wall um, and it can bind other materials together as a glue, right? So you can use it in multiple different ways, basically as natural glue. But its other magical property is that it's hygroscopic. And what that means is that it regulates moisture by drawing humidity out of the air when the humidity is in excess of 50%, and it releases humidity. It's never wet, right? It never gets wet from humidity, but it pulls and releases humidity constantly to regulate humidity inside of a space. So it's this glue that also acts, it can act as a desiccant and it can act as humidity control, um, which is kind of, yeah, I don't know any other material that's that cool. <laughs> um, so, and then ways to use it, right? So because it's a glue, it can be made into a paint, right? So you can paint onto a surface and that's all paint is. It's a little glue. Uh, you can make plasters, you can make floors, you can make walls, obviously. Um, and then there's many different methods of making walls. There's sort of three big ones. And then um, you can use it to glue other materials together. So light clay straw or light clay hemp where you use just enough clay glue to glue fibers together, mm -hmm. right? And so creating a binder that lets you create an insulating material with something that is otherwise not insulating. How about clay roofs? Have you ever built roofs with clay bricks or clay-based materials? 
Um, I have not, but so if it were used as a roofing material, in other mm -hmm. words, the barrier between you and the environment above you, right? So walls you can have exposed to the weather, but if your, your roof has a different set of parameters because water can rain on the roof and then soak in. And if it can soak in, you can create issues. So um, if it were used as a roofing material, I would fire it. Um, and that's not like, you know, that's, that's then product land, right? So you would purchase a product that is a fired clay tile roof. Um, and those are fantastic. Um, I just don't, I've not personally had a project that used them. So all of the clay that you will incorporate is an unfired clay readily available from and around the construction site, Siggy? That's exactly right. So um, when I'm talking paint, plaster, floors, walls, um, binder, right? Any of those, what we're doing is we're digging a hole in the ground, usually for the foundation of the building, pull the clay out, stockpile it, and then sift it, wet it, and add whatever ingredients, depending on what you're doing with it. Um, so it's quite local to the building site, as in it is the building site. Um, yeah, so readily available. Yeah. So indeed, it sounds magical and you don't need to convince me I'm already in for clay, but maybe we can also talk about what are, what are the main hurdles of using clay as a building materials? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I, the number one challenge is that there is a perception when you say earthen material, clay material, what people hear is dirt and they hear, oh, I'm going to have a dirt floor or you know, like I'm basically living in a chicken coop or, you know, they think, um, okay, well then if it rains, my building's going to wash away. There's all these misperceptions about how clay performs when it's wet, made malleable, used as a material, whether it's paint, plaster, floor, wall, whatever, allowed to dry and get strong right? It's now a different material than the clay that we experience in pottery or the clay that we experience in our garden, right? It's allowed to dry. It's formed, compressed, and allowed to dry. And when it dries, it's extremely strong, but that's not most people's experience with clay, right? So um, overcoming those misperceptions about what clay is. And part of that, I think, is verbiage. So for example, I call earthen floors adobe floors because when I was calling them earthen floors every, to a person, people thought I was saying dirt floor. Um, I think that's shifted a little bit because there's been some books written and some additional information out there on the web. So I think that has shifted a little bit from when I was starting, but I still call them Adobe floors because when people hear Adobe, they hear an architectural product. So to me, some of it is <clears throat> choosing, choosing the words that you describe the material in a way that no matter what someone's perception is, that they hear quality and they hear proper building material. Um, so that's, that's part of it is how do we how do we shift the general public mindset toward clay that it's not a compromise 
So just to ask, earthen floors that you design and build for your clients are um, uh, durability-wise, can you sweep them? Can you drag chairs on them? Are they, are they strong enough or um, how much maintenance do they require? So they're, um, an earthen floor is the same in terms of the user's experience as an oak floor. Right. So it's equally as hard. You clean it exactly the same way. It's actually finished in the same way. Um, so it's just as durable and maintenance free or ease of maintenance is identical. Um, the difference is that you have a mass now under your feet, which means a, you can warm that mass and have a super comfortable, beautiful, warm floor. Um, either with the sun or with radiant tubing, um, but also introducing mass into a space regulates the temperature. And again, with clay, the humidity inside that space and regulating the temperature. So instead of having those big day night temperature swings, you have even temperature day and night. And that again, increases your comfort level, right? So you create something that is more comfortable by making a material choice, right? That's crazy. Yeah. I remember visiting at Athena Steens um, in Arizona, and she said about, about clay floors and walls and showers to be so effective in absorbing, you know, the excessive humidity. The clay in showers where we would least expect clay to be, right? And maybe, but there are durability challenges for clay, right? We will not use clay as our roofing material. We need sufficient overhang and we need those boots, these um, um, high footings for clay mm -hmm. structures and finishes. Um, how do you address these durability challenges in your design projects? Yeah, so so I would say like then... Going back to the challenges question, um, and this answers your question a little bit, um, and I know we've talked about this before, but one of the other challenges with clay is where is it appropriate? When is it the appropriate material to use? And, and if you know you're going to incorporate clay, what makes the most sense? A wall? Evenly distributed plasters? A floor? Paint? Like what makes the most sense for your project? So one of the challenges is understanding it's not you don't go to home depot and ask someone okay i need this many sheets of plywood right it's not you have to understand the material you need to understand its properties where to get it how to use it how to process it right um and so it's a it's a different level of understanding than we usually we as sort of designers and builders that we usually need to have about a material. So that's number one. Um, and then in terms of architectural detailing, right? So clay is malleable when it's wet, right? Malleable and sticky and um, it's a great glue. Uh, I should have warned you that I do sound effects. <laughs> it's my little language. Um, but uh it's not strong. It's its strongest when it is dry. 
So what that means is clay needs to dry out in whatever application it is. So it's not appropriate as a retaining wall because there's always moisture in the ground. I don't care where you live, there's moisture in the ground. And that clay wall will always stay damp because there is moisture there. And because of that, it will never be its strongest, right? So then clay is not the right material, right? So if you have something that is in contact with water, then it should be a material that you could throw in a lake, come back a year later, and it's still there. And a ball of clay, that's not true for. So in building, that means actually lifting it up off the ground so that you're not ever in contact with that moisture. And the moisture that rises out of the ground can never keep your clay wall damp. It allows your clay wall to dry out fully. Um, surface rain is not a problem at all. It will erode slowly over time, but mostly if you've plastered an outside of a clay wall super smooth, the first thing that happens is the smooth clay on the surface washes away. It exposes aggregate, whether that's sand or fiber. And now that, now it has texture and that texture actually slows the water down and so slows the erosion down. So once you've exposed whatever aggregate, the, the remaining erosion is quite slow. So that's not really an issue. Um, but the top of the wall, protecting the top of the wall is, is also an issue. So you want to make sure that you have no places for water to ingress into the wall. And the top is the place where water can sit and then soak in. So even if you build a garden wall out of clay, you'd want to lift it up off the ground and you'd want to put some kind of a roof over it, right? A roof in air quotes. Um, so again, like clay tile would be great for that, right? So pop mm -hmm. some clay tiles on the top of the wall, right? Um, yeah, so, so it's, you have to have a different level of understanding of how the material works, what its um, superpowers are, but also what its kryptonite is. Mm. You know? Of course. Makes so much sense. So Siggy, you gained so much invaluable knowledge and you're located here on the East Coast, uh, cold climate, on using earthen materials in a bioclimatic proper way for, for cold climates. How would you recommend our students to learn more about designing with earthen materials for cold climates? What are the differences between cold and maybe hot and arid climates like we can see in Southwest US or in other places in the world. Yeah, so the physics principles are actually the same regardless of where you use them. The difference is that if you are going to use energy to change the temperature inside your space, then you want an insulator between that different temperature and the outside. And clay is not an insulating material. Clay is a thermal mass material. What that means is it has the ability to conduct energy, which is the opposite of an insulator, right? It can conduct energy and then store it. It's like a rechargeable battery for heat energy. So in that same way that we talked about humidity control, absorbs, releases. It does the same thing with energy. If there is an abundance of heat energy, it like the summertime, right? It's hot air outside and it's hotter than you want, the, than what is comfortable. 
then that mass is absorbing heat out of the air constantly. And it would have to reach 90 degrees, right, on a hot day or whatever, whatever temperature it is, for it to actually stop absorbing heat, right? So it's essentially this endless absorption of heat energy in the summer, which means it's cooling your space inside. But if and only if your outside walls are actually insulating. So, so the number one thing that I would say to people about how to understand that better is um, explore passive solar design. And the reason I say that is that passive solar design, yes, is about the sun angles, and, but fundamentally, passive solar design works because it's an appropriate use of both insulation and thermal mass. Right. And so in, in, in the case of passive solar design, you are absorbing the sun's energy as free heat, conducting and then storing it in a mass wall inside a super insulated bubble. And now that heat stays inside your bubble and warms you all night long when the sun is long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so like they're very simple physics principles, but it's the same. You know, so the the uh, the adobe buildings in the southwest, in the high deserts of the southwest, those are those were the first passive solar buildings I ever learned about in school, and they are in the southwest, and they use clay, right? And they are completely protected on the north, so they're built against a mountain or a hill or inside a cave, right? And then they're facing south, and that low summer sun warms up all that clay. And in the summer, I'm sorry, the low winter sun warms up all the clay and the summer sun is high in the sky and shades them all. So they're cool all summer and they're warm all winter, right? Um, And in the Northeast, we can do that same thing by creating an insulating bubble and then using clay inside. And there's a couple different ways to use clay. I know we don't have time to go into everything, but um, so the ways that I use clay in this climate are never the exterior wall. Ever, never. I use clay as mass in a floor, thick plasters, and by thick, I mean generally about two inches of plaster on some other insulating wall, and an evenly distributed mass around the building, which is thick plaster everywhere. It's tons of area, but not very thick, right? Um, that much mass also regulates humidity and temperature inside the space, and I use it as clay solar walls, so trom walls are called, um, clay solar walls to absorb winter heat energy for free in that space. Those are the primary ways. This is so inspiring, Siggy, and the way you use your understanding of what a material wants to be and how a material behave with the understanding of climate. You really find ways to make houses that give form to the future we want to live in. And we haven't even spoke about health and well-being issues of occupants that you deal with tremendously. Wrapping this up, I, I want to ask you maybe a last question. You incorporate many of your workshop in actual construction projects. So you do design, build, and teaching of clay-based materials. Maybe you can speak more about how you integrate as an architecture professional, both your design and building expertise, plus teaching a wide array of students from clients to young people who want to learn 
Uh, so I started teaching because the that first project that I had, you know, so I draw on the drawing, straw bale wall, clay wall, right? And then you go to a builder and they're like, uh, what now? Um, and they have no idea what you what you want to do, you know, or clay plaster, right? So even something that basic. So I, on the very first project, it became clear that if I had the knowledge, I needed to teach it on site, hands on, in person. And luckily, that makes me happy. So, um, <laughs> so from the very first project, my paradigm was that I offer any client to either train their construction crew or use their project as a classroom. And if they use their project as a classroom, we host a workshop, we open it to the public. Um, the public comes to learn, I get to teach, and the client gets a lot done in a short period of time. So it's sort of a win-win-win. Yeah. I offer it on every project. Siggy, thank you so much for your time and participation. And I'm really delighted to have your work being shared with our students here at Columbia GSAP. So thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, it was my absolute delight to talk to you, Lola. Always, always. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.